Hello and welcome to Eat, Race, Shower, Repeat. I'm Laura Winter, sports broadcaster, podcaster and cycling presenter. And I am Paul Foss, former professional cyclist for Bora Hansgrohe. This podcast will take you behind the scenes of one of the most successful World Tour cycling teams of them all, Bora Hansgrohe. We follow them as they take on the most emotionally and physically challenging bike races of them all, the Tour de France. Yes, we are working with team title sponsor Hansgrohe, one of the world's largest and most respected bathroom suppliers and manufacturers, featuring beautifully designed taps and showers of the highest quality, benefiting from the finest in German engineering. For four years now, Hansgrohe has been at the team's side as a reliable partner and together we will bring you exclusive insight from the team. The riders, the mechanics, the sports directors, the coaches and more for a unique look at the most beautiful sport in the world. In this episode, we are going to reflect on an incredible Tour de France. It was a race that had just about everything. Thrills and spills aplenty, shock stage wins, a fierce battle for the green jersey, and the yellow jersey changed hands in the final mountain time trial. Boran's Cole came to the Tour with the ambitions for the yellow and green jersey and fell just short. We will focus on the key stages of the Tour for the team, bringing you both commentary and writers' interviews. And we are delighted to welcome former British national champion Matt Stevens to the podcast and, of course, commentator and pundit as well to help us mull over the remarkable three weeks we've just been treated to. Matt, how are you? What did you make of the tour? Um, I think, like many of us, um, I miss it already because it was. I always miss the tour when it finishes. I think all, all of our lives feel kind of empty and we feel a bit bereft, almost like we've lost some, something in our life. But I think looking back on the tour, it was one of the best. It was a vintage tour, wasn't it? It really was something quite special. Extraordinary in so many different ways, which I've no doubt we'll go into. Um, but I thought it was brilliant. Um, yeah, almost like a changing of the guard in many, many ways, but some spectacular team performances, individual performances, um, and I really do think anybody who, wherever they were in the world, especially that 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 penultimate time trial, um, that was something very very special. Whatever team you support, whatever right, if you're neutral, whether you, whether you like, it doesn't really matter. Whatever particular riders you like, I was reduced to tears on that final stage. Uh, I would imagine, like many of you, because I'm a as well as being an ex rider and I work in the industry, I'm a I'm a fan. I bloody love it. You know, I I, I love this sport and it it delivered on so many different fronts. So. Yeah, a vintage tour for me. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I was in tears as well. Paul, you were obviously working on it. You were actually commentating. I suppose you couldn't really shed a tear, could you, on the mic? Yeah, it was a, yeah, like especially the, the last jump tour was like, was just ridiculous. You know, like I couldn't, like when I saw the time gaps changing from like plus to minus for Rockledge, I just couldn't believe what I saw there. And then this performance was just amazing. And like, but in general, the tour, as Matt mentioned, was like a change of guard, you know, like a Jumbo Visma came and basically replaced Ineos. But then also like it was so much old school racing, you know, like teams just taking it from the gun and just, yeah, I don't know, riding flat out until the end and hoping they survive. And I mean, I thought last year, so 2019 was quite exceptional tour, but this year was even like better, you know, and throughout the whole race. So not just the last week. So yeah, it was really nice to watch yeah, as a fan, especially. Yeah, definitely. And I think also there was this added level of intrigue, controversy, tension, drama with the fact that it not only did it come from the depths of 
a pandemic than none of us have ever seen in our lives before. It came off the back of only only 28 days of racing. And it, there was always a risk that it, it would somehow not get to Paris as well. It was this tour that had drama on every single level. Yeah, I, I think one of the, the, the amazing things as well is the fact, well, it was kind of pretty incredible that no rider tested positive during the whole race. And clearly there, there's many reasons for that. But I think one thing that you've got to say fair play and chapeau to ASO is by firstly managing to hold the race, secondly having obviously a very close working relationship with government and the sports minister, and that the only high-profile person that actually got COVID and had to leave and come back was was Prudhomme. Was, and that's, Which is quite funny. <laughs> yeah, it, let's, let's be honest. Uh, thankfully, he's in good health. We can reflect back and laugh about it a little bit now. But um, it was, yeah, a real race for the ages. And, uh, and like you said, but I think many of us at the start were thinking this could go on for a week. It could be two weeks. I mean, literally, it was we were flying by the seat of our pants, weren't we? And, um, but somehow the tour pulled off, the tour and the riders pulled off one of the best tours in years. You know, the, the, the whole context of sport, when you step away from it right now, is, seems insignificant. But what I think is important about the tour finishing was actually kind of a little kind of, without being too sentimental, almost like a little beacon of hope that we can get through this. You know, whatever your views on sport, sport is important because it shows that we can actually pull together, do something right. Um, and we, it's, it was a massive celebration of sport and actually people coming together and doing the right thing is my view on it. I completely agree with you. Um, I think that's why I found it all so much more emotional. The stakes just seemed that little bit higher this year. We'll talk about Bora Hansgrohe specifically. Um, A quote here from Ralph Denk, who's the Bora Hansgrohe team manager, and he says, we had three objectives here, two of which we must admit we were unable to achieve. In general, we had a lot of bad luck at the tour this year. Nevertheless, I'm drawing a positive conclusion because the way our riders presented themselves was great. Their attacking riding style was received enthusiastically by the cycling world. You could see the passion, the fighting spirit, but also the form that would have actually been there. We performed here as a team. Leonard's victory was the reward for this hard work and a huge relief for everyone. I am particularly proud as this was the first German stage victory for our team at the Tour. Next year, we will certainly be back with ambitious goals and the potential to achieve them is definitely present in our team. Matt, Paul, how do you both reflect on Bora Hansgrohe's Tour de France generally? I basically agree to that what Ralph said. I mean, they didn't achieve what they wanted to achieve, but or like two of the three goals. But the stage win of Lena Kemner was just like a, yeah, it just showed his full potential, you know. So not just the, the potential of the team, but also his personal potential. And also Hoda took on the challenge to take the green jersey back from Sam Bennett. I mean, like, not many times you see like a team like really just throwing it in like there, you know, like it, they did it so early on in the stage race. And then also they tried the second time and the third time and they really every chance they had and they tried to drop a, uh, yeah, Sam Bennett basically to get the jersey back. And I really like that, you know, like you could see like that as a team, they stepped up a lot. Like they didn't achieve the green jersey, but the way they, they wrote, if there will be like a competitive prize for the best team or like the most aggressive team, I will give it to Bora, you know, because the way that I was riding was, was just phenomenal. And like on the stage 13 and stage 16 was just a brilliant team tactic as well, you know, and on stage 16, they finally got the stage win with Kemner. So that was like, also for me, like as a commentator and, it's like, I mean, I'm still close to the team. It was, it was really nice to see. And yeah, I was really happy for everyone involved. Yeah. And Matt, for you, do you agree? Uh, definitely. I think what, I mean, it might be controversial, but I think I'm right. I think it, Peter Sagan losing the green jersey this year 
has elevated the status of the green jersey. I think it's one of the best battles we've seen. And um, and, and quite often, let, let's be honest, Peter's that good. Seven times a winner. He's you know, on, on, on an unbroken run since 2011. I think only in 2016, I think it was, to check back. But an incredible unbroken run. But, he, you know, he battled until the end and still managed to get third on the Champs-Élysées. But, you know, Sam Bennett had to fight. You know, he had to fight. And um, that's what we like. That's what we want. We don't want anybody to be to be um, given an armchair ride to win any classification. And I thought that the team fought valiantly. I, I thought they fought with their hearts, but they fought with their heads as well. And Stage 7 in particular was a display, one of the most exciting displays of, of team riding that I've seen in many, many years. It was like a single-day classic. You know, they shredded the bunch early on, sacrificed a lot of riders until ultimately Peter was actually quite isolated in the end but it was all because we know that Peter in the final can look after himself and if it wasn't for a slip gear he probably would have got another top three and maybe the face of the the green jersey could have changed so I think and also the way that the team kept on bouncing back and ultimately as as Paul has said they got the victory but that that was off the back of coming second and third as well to Danny Martinez you know that was like oh my god when are we going to win and then finally they had this unwavering self-belief which and it was embodied in the end by Leonard Kamner but I think the team rode very, very well. They made for an exciting race. And I think they'll come out the other side of this race even stronger. That's my view. Yeah, I mean, in the end, sometimes you have to lose to get stronger. And so, and, and I think they definitely got stronger throughout the race and uh, just shows how, how good they are, you know, as a team as well. And, and also, I think it's worth mentioning one thing about the green jersey as well. And we, and we know that um, it, it, Peter... It's doing the Giro, you know, and, and you do wonder if you step back in the cold light of day and think, well, I wonder if that affected sometimes the way that he, he rode. Was he thinking about the Giro? We don't know. We're not in his mind, you know. I think, as the management of Bora Hansgrove already said, it's a really ambitious kind of program for Peter in particular. And I'm not saying it necessarily affected him, but you could argue that, that his approach to the tour has been, and obviously because of lack of racing, one reason, but he didn't want to come into the tour absolutely full gas to kind of collapse and then just ride the Giro and just get round. You know, it's about wanting to achieve in two, in three grand tours with only a two week gap in between. And I think we should also think about that as well. And we've seen that in the past when riders have tried to do the double and how hard it is. You can't just take that away from your mind and know that in couple of weeks time we're going to be doing another grand tour and it's just a, maybe a small thing well yeah there's there's doubling up on grand tours and then there's doing it in a year that has seen a huge hiatus in racing a global pandemic only 28 days to build up and then the toughest tour in history the most mountainous tour in history and for the sprinters that's a, that's a huge ask Actually, Ralph Denk said about Peter, Peter's preparation for the tour and the jury was something of a tightrope walk. So perhaps it was just the fact here at the tour, he wasn't quite there and the jury, we could see something special. We'll have to wait and see. Let's take a look then at the key stages. Um, starting with a quick note to stage three, that was sort of business as usual. We saw Peter Sagan take the green jersey in a sprint finish in Sisteron. Um, and I believe that was the stage where we saw Caleb Ewing pick, picking up his first stage victory there as well. So Sagan not winning, but going into green. Yeah, for me, first day in green, Caleb Ewing took the stage win. I think from that point, with Peter going straight into green, it was like, okay, here we are. We're going to take this all the way to Paris. And ultimately, it wasn't actually what unfolded. But um, it just shows that despite you know talking about his running and saying he was maybe a little bit undercooked, to go into the green jersey to relatively early in the race, especially given 
the hilly start that we had, the really unorthodox Tour de France start we had was incredible, wasn't it? Obviously, the weather, stage two, it was really difficult. It showed that Peter, to me, was in good form. But obviously, there were things that would change later on that we could never really predict. And Paul, your thoughts of seeing Sagan in green? It's a site we're very used to, um, but a site in this year's tour we only had for a, a number of days. I mean, to be honest, at that point, it was just business as usual, you know. He just takes it and usually never gives it up. I think until this year, it was just one year where he actually had to give it back after he received it the first time. So, yeah, you know, on that point, you, you will never thought that it actually plays out the way it did in the end. Uh, so he did lose the green jersey and we've already talked about this um, stage and it is sensational. It was stage seven. Bora Hansgrohe put the hammer down in the wind, smashed it. Sagan took back the green jersey, but he suffered that mechanical, as you said, Matt, in that final sprint for the stage win in what was a rolling stage to Lavor. Uh, here is what Sagan had to say about his um, luck, shall we say, at the end of the stage. You take us through that final sprint. Uh, I suppose that was a bit of a, a disappointment after a, an amazing day from Bora. Yeah, I'm disappointed uh, because uh, in, uh, we control all the race today and uh, everything seems like it's uh, very good and in the end I had the luck in, in the final and uh, my changes drop off and uh, well. Bora and Gora were amazing today from kilometer zero to the finish. Uh, so there's a, a, yeah, a slight disappointment. I'm very proud of uh, all the guys because they did a uh, very nice job, very good job today. And uh, they pulled uh, hard from the start until the end, and in the end was uh, some cross win. I keep going in with the first group with also Emmanuel Bukma and uh, yeah, everything was pretty nice and uh, just uh, fucking psychic. <laughs> the jersey is on your shoulders, the green jersey is on your shoulders. This is how you win the green jersey, it's on a stage like this. It's like this, but not like today. <laughs> well, again, I have to just say thanks to all my teammates because uh, they've been amazing today. So Sagan there summing up what he thinks about cycling and uh, his misfortune. <laughs> um, and it is, it's right, it, that's, that's cycling. It is an element, there's a huge element of luck involved as well, isn't there? Uh, no, I, I agree. I mean, as we all know, Peter's such a character, isn't he? And he's got his own very, very straightforward way of talking about things sometimes. But that cycling, you're on a knife edge in, in so many different ways. You've got this tiny little bit of rubber in between the tarmac and, and you at all times. And you've got 200 different stories going on at once. And that, and that was a very, very stressful finish, of course. Uh, but it just wasn't to be. He was actually 13th on the stage. Unlucky, you could say unlucky 13, you know. Um, he should have scored a lot more points. But, you know, sometimes even your equipment, you can be on the best equipment and sometimes it just doesn't work, you know, or, or there's or something's not quite right. Or you, you hit a stone or you change the gear at the wrong moment and uh, something catastrophic can happen. And it was really unfortunate because it, it was a little bit of an uphill finish as well, which we know Peter kind of prefers, although we know that Wout van Aert was on fire. But I think... Um, had it not been for a bit of bad luck, we could have seen a completely different green jersey competition. But hey, there we go. That's, that's cycling, isn't it? That is indeed. And Paul, Sagan does seem unflappable. He said to us in previous episodes, well, I've already won seven. So I, 
if I get the eight, that's great. But if I don't, that's also okay. It was almost like, not the pressure was off, because I'm sure internally that's not how he was feeling, but that he could take whatever was thrown at him. And there was a lot thrown at him that day. Yeah, that's true. I mean, at that stage, I thought, okay, he really doesn't care about the jersey as much as you might think. But then I think um, like a few days later, he started to realize, oh yeah, I, I think I do like that jersey. Actually, I want to get it in Paris. And you could see like a, a change of mindset. And I think like, I mean, beside like that he was 14th at the stage and didn't got the points he wanted to, the way Boran scroll wrote that day was just unbelievable. I mean, um, I started to watch that stage. I was like, all right, it's a big ask, you know, like to to start that way and finish it off. And they actually finished it off. You know, they lost like almost everyone except I think Emanuel Buchmann and uh, just Peter Sagan were left in the bunch. And, you know, that they sacrificed almost everyone. It was just an amazing display of like teamwork. And I think that really stood out and they earned so much respect that day, uh, which will last much longer than actually losing that point uh, in the sprint. Yeah. You mentioned Emmanuel Buchmann there and um, we'll move on, of course, because it wasn't just the green jersey that Bora Hansgrohe came for. They also went for the yellow jersey as well with Emmanuel Buchmann, who did suffer that crash at the Dauphiné just before the Tour de France. Um, stage eight and nine were the first big tests in the Pyrenees. And it was there we saw Buchmann lose time ultimately dropping out of contention for the overall general classification. He finished five minutes 45 off the pace at the end of stage nine. And it was at that point there was that strategy change to ch um, to go from general classification to stage wins. Paul, what did you think? You always hope that he will be fine, you know, after the heavy crash in the Dauphiné. But he obviously wasn't. And yeah, I mean, he, he lost time that day and... So GC, the GC battle was over, but they quickly adapt the strategy. You know, the crash in Dauphiné was actually really too heavy and you could see it also with other GC contenders, you know. They didn't come back to the level they were before or like even couldn't start the tour. So I think it was just a matter of time that we actually see that, that he might, yeah, drops out of contention. contention. <laughs> it was sad to see, but I mean... It opened the gap for like other guys, you know, like Kemner to show himself later on in the race. Yeah, for sure. And Matt, what what did you make of Emmanuel Bookman's chances coming into this year's tour? Obviously fourth last year, uh, but off the back of that crash, what were you sort of gauging his chance of, of being in that kind of form again? I always thought it was going to be a bit of a challenge, but do you know what? When you look at the capabilities of Bookman and even see what his form was like, you know, pre-Dauphiné, he's had a really good year, you know, and um, and coming off the back of fourth place overall, I mean, they came into the race with two objectives, the yellow jersey and the green jersey. Blimey, with teams of eight, that's hard, you know, and I'm not close enough to the team to know exactly what that last week was like leading into the tour, but they made the decision to race him. But clearly, I'm not saying it was the wrong one because he clearly had the willingness and the kind of drive and the desire to do it. Otherwise, I think he would have said, no, don't take me. But ultimately... The, the level the sport is at now, and and Paul will know this more than me. I mean, he's only been out of the sport a couple of years and has, has ridden the tour. It is so high. And if you come into the tour as a GC contender, hitting the mountains just a little bit off the pace in, in terms of your preparation because you've had to rest and not ride your bike for five days, whatever it was, and I know it was something like that, it's just maybe too much. And it clearly showed he just didn't have it. And I don't think that's taking anything away. I just think it's 
pure physiological. I think he has the team, when you look at the team, Grosshartner and Mulberger in particular, around him for, for the high mountains. And the, the, the other guys, of course, split between, with, between Peter as well and, and, and Leonard. Perhaps, I think, when, when we saw, and obviously you lost Mulberger at stage 11 as well. Yeah, I wasn't super, super surprised, but I think maybe it was the right call to take him just to see. But ultimately, with 2020 vision, it just wasn't going to happen, was it? And it's a big, big shame. And he's going to be massively disappointed about that. And I don't know what his ambitions are now, whether he's going to go to the Giro or the or the, uh, or the Walter. But um, I think he's still the kind of rider that can get up there overall and in the Tour again. Oh, absolutely. Huge potential. But with that shift came more of a focus, of course, on the green jersey. And we have stage 11. So this was a classic sprinter stage into Poitiers. And it was a ferocious final sprint. Peter Sagan, a move down the barriers and a nudge, shall we say, on Wout van Aert, saw him relegated from that stage, losing the points he needed from that stage as well. Let's listen first to how it unfolded on Eurosport. Kokar on his back wheel as uh, Greg Van Avermaet just dinks in front of them, almost hampers them. Uh, Kokar is, is there, so is Dabusko. It looks like it's going to be Jens Dabusko who's going to take this, uh, or at least uh, be given the chance, because Kokar is disengaged. He's staying on the back wheel of uh, the green jersey of Sam Bennett, who's going to have a free ride. Others are going to have some chances as well. Yes, for Stoyman, it is that's going to try and indeed spoil that particular party, and still they don't go for it. Others coming to the front. Nico Bonifacio is going to very much be involved here uh, for Team Direct Energy. They spread wide, Van Aert also getting very much involved. Case Ball's been bogged out of it, I think. And there's Sam Bennett, he's looking, he's looking. Who do I follow? Who do I take advantage of? It's now that you've got to make that decision. And the green jersey comes to the fore. Ewan is on his back wheel here with the red helmet. And going straight through the middle one, Van Aert holding on. Who's going to get that first? Four up for the line, including Sagan. Ewan thinks he's got it. That was absolutely remarkable. And here is how Enrico Poitschke, the sports director, saw it. In the final, we had the goal to attack and to make the race so hard as possible. That works very well. And in the sprint, also, Peter was in a good position. He was then sometimes blocked and saw on the last meters a possibility to go on the barrier to try to win the stage. And he touched then fun art harder than he liked to do it and in the end he was relegated and that's far away from perfect but uh, we have to accept that. Matt this was another huge day for Peter Sagan at the Tour de France and not in a good way. Yeah I think we've all watched that video time and time again we've seen the different kind of shots where somebody had a selfie stick in his path you know we don't know whether he could see that or not and he ducked out the way. I think to step away from the emotion of it I think in a bunch sprint these days, if you make contact with a rider, and there was, there was clear contact made, we know that, you have to be disqualified. And um, it's, it's bike racing again. It's one of those things. And, and I think the fact the team didn't appeal, Peter took it graciously, you know, understandably annoyed, was the way to do it. I mean, it just happened. Uh, when you think about the pressure that's under riders in these situations, we, we all know that things happen, but we can never accuse any, any rider of doing something intentionally to try and harm anybody. And I don't think Peter did. He's just that kind of rider and he can do things that are almost supernatural. And on this occasion, he did come to contact with Wout, Wout van Aert, but unfortunately step away, he was disqualified. When you look at the, what happened on stage seven, that 13th, when you look at what happened then, 
they could have been the two key moments that have meant that Peter Sagan, if, just when you look at it mathematically and simply at the end of the, the, the gap, from then on, he was on the back foot. And uh, at that point, obviously, Bennett was already in green anyway. So he was just then playing catch up. And I'd imagine it kind of get, it gave his kind of morale and the team's morale a little bit of a dent, understandably. But I think, personally, the decision was a fair one. But the fact the team took it honourably and actually managed to do what they did for the rest of the race and took that wonderful stage win a bit later is testament to the way that the, the way the team can pick themselves up from adversity, refocus and still maintain you know, this unbelievable but sort of sense of belief and drive and actually pull, up, pull out a victory. Because not many teams won stages this year. You look at how many riders doubled up on stages. Winning a stage of the Tour, very, very hard indeed. And they did it. I think that's really fair to say that the team took it well. And, you know, we can sit there and watch that clip in slow motion over and over again and say, oh, he did this, he did that. And I think he came out on NBC and said he hadn't seen the selfie stick and what he was getting out the way of was actually the the barrier that stuck out slightly. So again, in, infrastructure issues there. But we've poured over that clip time and time again. And it's been, you know, in slow motion. For Peter Sagan, that was a 0.1 second split decision to make that move in the heat of battle and I think it's you know it's not altogether fair to sort of um castigate him for for that and and to really kind of go in on him for what was a a moment that very few of us will ever ever experience in our lives a, a sprint at the Tour de France Paul how do you think the team will have rallied around him at that point and and bounce back because bounce back they did yeah I mean <laughs> Then it was only like the second uh, blow, you know, because they saw like that the, the green jersey gets out of hand, you know, like, so you had to do like some big tricks to get points back and so on. So I think after that, like they really had to change the plans again a bit and also the way how they're, how they're racing. But to come back to like the, the stage where he got uh, relegated, I think as Matt said, I mean, it's, it's fair to relegate him, but also you could see that like the pressure, you know, throughout the days, was maybe just even a bit too much for Peter, you know? So like, I think he wouldn't have tried to go through that gap without having to chase the points, you know? I think in the past, you know, he's a really skilled rider. Um, he wouldn't have gone through there. I think he, he saw that the gap is too tight to get through. So I think you really could see there, like, that he felt the pressure and he really wanted to yeah, to have that stage. And to be honest, I think if he wouldn't have touched Val van Aert, so if the gap will have been a bit bigger, I think he will have won the stage. He was really fast and uh, probably the fastest that day. So I think that was a big blow, but I was really surprised how they came back then the next days. And they lost on stage eight, basically Emmanuel Buchmann, you know, for the GC. And then they had this other stage seven, you know, where they blew the bunch apart. And Peter Sagan didn't got the points he wanted to in the finish. And here another blow, but yeah, the next day that just went out there and uh, tried it again and it really was exceptional yeah i mean if you have so many sitbacks how often can you come back you know <laughs> yeah the mental energy to keep going right we'll go again we'll bounce back again but they kept coming out fighting and it was leonard kemner and max schachmann on stage 13 who were well up the road schachmann was ahead kemner and martinez behind him they they joined together in a, in a trio to the line um schachmann then just began to lose a bit of ground of course coming back from that broken collarbone which you you forget because he was riding so well um and in the end leonard kemner finished second max schachmann third on the stage up to puy marie and also a stage that had 4,000 metres of climbing. Uh, here's how Leonard felt in the dining moments of that stage. 
actually I wanted to drop him because I know I'm not the fastest sprinter and um, yeah in the end he was also really strong and uh, ah, I can't can't uh, say anything I just see my sprint there I think I had a good acceleration but uh, I was standing still afterwards actually I knew I'm I'm in okay shape I just see it ah, fuck. yeah it is what it is I cannot change it a few more stages to come and I hope I can uh, maybe win another one and how important it was as well to have Max up there with him too. Yeah, probably, but uh, still I could save some uh, energy in the valley. I didn't need it to pull when he was out. And also afterwards, I always can stay in the wheels. I don't have to take any turns. So uh, that was the best thing he could uh, have done for me. And uh, also for himself, it was a big chance for sure. But still, uh, yeah, I would have liked to finish it off. I mean, this was a real statement of intent, wasn't it, from both riders that stage wins were possible for Bora Hansgrohe. Matt, what did you make of it? Yeah, I, I think so. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think even the day before or the day before that, Max Shackman had been up the road again. And it's really important that you picked up on the fact that, you know, he had his own in, in Lombardia, you know, that ridiculous crash there. And I, when I saw that, I was thinking, oh, my God, Shackman's not going to ride the tour, you know, and he's one of your key riders, signed a long-term contract such an aggressive exciting rider but you know he ended up in the tour three top tens and you know and an important part of the team the amount of time he, he rode on the front and without getting ahead of ourselves that you know chipped off on the Champs-Élysées on the final stage as well just to really show that they were there and part an important part of the race but I think at the end of the day that climb was brutal that La Puy-Marie wasn't it it was absolutely insane you could have probably walked faster than the riders bear in mind because of the gradient was so steep and it really was just man against man. And I don't think Bora could have done any more. And interesting listening to uh, Leonard's kind of little wrap up. And he said, well, I thought I had a good sprint and then I had nothing. <laughs> and you could see, because he, he kind of gave it a bit of a, a punch first, didn't he? And actually it looked like he had Martinez on the ropes for a little bit with about 300 to go. And I think that was the longest 300 meters I've ever seen in my life in a bike race. It was like a boxing match. And Martinez in the end, you know, winner of the Dauphiné, a man in great form, just had it on, on that day. But again, you know, second and third, a lot of teams could have just thought, flipping it, when are we going to get a great roll of the dice? But I think it just showed that, again, they just a few days later, they just bounced back, didn't they? And, um, and I think that just shows not just, you know, what a, an exceptional group of people they are, a team they are, but also the support staff and the kind of atmosphere that's nurtured within the squad, that's really important that enables riders to still feel like immensely valued and, and believed in, even though they've just had setback after setback after setback, despite trying. That's when you need good management, isn't it, Paul? You've been in the team, you know what it's like. You do need people to kind of reset you and give you that kind of psychological foundation to say, it doesn't matter, go again. We're, we just, just go and express yourselves out on the road. That's important, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. I mean, they have, certainly have the right people for that in the team. I know that Dan Lorang has like a big impact on the riders, you know. He's talking a lot with them. And also, when you see his own tweets or like his communication to the media, he's always really honest, but then also he's always looking forward. You know, like he takes his seat back, but then says, all right, yeah, we have to keep going, you know. Next time we're going to do it better. And yeah, <laughs> they did it basically almost every day. And on that stage 13, in the aftermath, I really thought, if Leonard would have just started his sprint like 100 meters later, which is like 
half a minute or so later <laughs> because it was so steep. But because his kick was actually really, really good and Martinez had to fight to get back to him. But yeah, there you could see that his, his shape is just really, really good. And then yeah, later on, he just showed what he's actually capable of. Yeah, yeah of course. He had that stage one at the Dauphiné, didn't he, up Grand Colombier? And that was a sort of uh, a moment where he announced himself on the grandest stage of all of professional cycling. And then stage 16, Bora Hansgrohe finally got that stage when they were looking for. Kemner attacked from the break on the lumpy road to Villa de Lon, and he won with a courageous solo effort. Paul, you were there in commentary. Uh, how did you see it unfold? Like already the situation, you know, like seeing him being like in a group with Carapaz, Giro Bennett and Alaphilippe, you know, he won like, I don't know how many stages at the tour so far, plus the yellow jersey rider the year before. So like in a group with like so many world-class riders and you could see how he was pedaling, you know, it looked so easy and also his facial expressions. And then the point where he just dropped Carapaz just amazing because it was basically it was just on top of the small hill and it was not even going uphill anymore so it was like slightly flat and he just rode away you know like he had like one kick and then just sat in a saddle and yeah was pedaling away it was just unbelievable and also like how big his gap was then in the end in the finish you know like showed just how strong he actually was because in the in the group behind him were lots of world-class riders you know so it's not just like that he wasn't like a i don't know with like a few guys from like pro conti teams you know but he dropped like one of the best riders in the world on climbing you know so pff, that was really amazing what he did there yeah. and then also like the day after you know stage 17 he was again in the breakaway so that three to four stages we had just unbelievable what lena kemner and especially also max schachmann did there was uh, pretty insane yeah yeah, he didn't just drop any old rider. He dropped the winner of the Giro and an Ineos Grenadiers rider where the team, again, had shifted their focus and were also desperate for stage wins. Let's listen then to how that stage unfolded on Eurosport. They came out of the blocks today with some force, with some aggression after the rest day. Bora Hansgrohe, one of the most competitive teams yet again. More riders in the break than you and I have had hot dinners today, Brian. It was a huge group up the road. Leonard Kemner had Daniel Oss with him. And he now has 750 metres to ride to take his first ever Tour de France stage win. Three years since he was denied right at the end in the under-23 World Championships. 24-year-old Leonard Kemner is the latest young rider to become a world star of cycling at this particular Tour de France. He's beaten... Grand Tour stage winners. The likes of Alaphilippe out the back. Giro d'Italia winner Carapaz destroyed on that last climb. He's almost a minute and a half back now. This is a very special day in the life of Leonard Kemner. What a welcome he gets to Villard de Lons. In a place that's seen so many big battles in the Tour de France. The place we went to almost every year in the 1980s. Here in 2020, the most special, unique and confusing of years, Leonard Kemner 
Exactly a month since taking his first ever professional victory, is about to beat a Grand Tour winner to a stage win at the Tour de France. Everything he would have been dreaming when he was up there in that under-23 road race at the Worlds three years ago. He wasn't successful then, just like Bora Hansgrohe haven't been successful so far at the Tour. But they have tried, and they have not ceased to try. It's been relentless from the German team, and they're going to get success with their German rider. Time to celebrate, finally. Beaten closely the other day. Now it's time for a big smile. And at this particular Tour de France, young guns go for it. Leonard Kamler is the victor. Exactly a month after taking his first professional win. It's a Tour de France stage now, and he's beaten the mighty Richard Carapaz. That was some show, Brian Smith. Oh, I was a short power there. So happy for this young man. And if you look back to um, when he missed out in the, the, the Under-23 World Championships, that day, Hershey was 14th. Look further down, Pogacar was in 20th place. So, you know, it's not all about winning the world title at that young age. It's how you progress, and he's pr progressed with, it, with his team today. To go in the breakaway in the first place, to beat this man here who won the Giro d'Italia last year when we thought that final climb that he was the strongest rider he didn't let go and they attacked over the top and took up you know the best victory of his career and here's Leonard's reaction as well yeah I'm feeling great absolutely uh, awesome day for me now it was a fight from the beginning on and I knew I have to make it to the finish and all and uh, when I saw that Carapaz is uh, dropping the speed, I said, okay, now it's a moment to go. And then I just went all in until the end. Yeah, it's a big, big, big uh, relief also for the team. And for me also, I can almost not imagine it. Like, uh, the step I made this year is like huge and I'm so, so blessed to win today. Matt, just how impressed are you with this young rider? He looks so strong, didn't he? Like, like Paul just said, on, on a number of stages. Yeah, uh, it, it's an amazing talent. And um, I think as well as that kind of natural, that natural strength he has, he's, he's obviously very, very bright as well. He knows when to use it. And when he does make the right kind of move, I think the Dauphiné was the... We've, we've known about Leonard for, for a while now, haven't we? His potential. But obviously to win that uh, Dauphiné stage in the, in the manner that he did, there, it was it was reminiscent of the tour stage ultimately, because he, and I'm just looking through, and it's worth touching again. Carapaz second, Reichenbach, Sivakov, Geshka, Bargi, Teichbanut, Alaphilippe, Betiol. Jesus, these are it's it's as you, as Paul said, it's not just a group of riders with, with no GC hopes who goes go up the road. That's a class group, and once they got the gap, the pressure was really on him. Then it's like okay, this is a even more. It's even kind of a kind of worse kind of situation. It's like, okay, I really, this could be the only opportunity we have to win a stage. And he dealt with that perfectly. But I think the thing for me was, it was so smart when he went, it was just towards the top of the climb. And I think they'd actually gone over the KOM, but there was another little drag and he just hit Carapaz over the, and had like three seconds over the top. And I thought, what's he doing here? But then he just gets so aero. And so he's just, it was so smart and he hardly even looked back. But then it was like on the descent, he took most of his time on the kind of flat, flattish kind of well, flat to downhill descents. And it was just, he just shows how, how, how good a TT rider is and how good I think a GC rider he might be in the future was, was just the way he thought about what he was going to do 
Because Carapaz, although he's won a grand tour, when you look at the way, the mechanics of the way he rides a bike sometimes, he's not super explosive. He kind of turns a biggish gear. He's been turning a big gear all day. Can get people back, but I think that Leonard's intelligence said, okay, if I hit him here, I think I'm a better TT rider than, than him. And he's not going to be able to get me back. And it was just beautiful to see. And I was actually, I thought, really? But he did it and he pulled it off. And um, so, yeah, great strength, great maturity and great intelligence. Uh, and I think those three things are going to serve him very well in the coming years. It was stunning to see, wasn't it? We must mention stage 19 as well. Uh, it was uh, sort of, by this point, the green jersey, they put their hands up and said, congratulations to Sam Bennett. But on that stage, Lucas Postelberger swallowed a bee and had to abandon the race as if they hadn't had enough bizarre bad luck in this race. <laughs> Lucas Postelberger swallowed a bee and we should say he went into anaphylactic shock and had to go into ICU intensive care that evening. As far as I think we all know he's he's very he's well he's recovered well from it. But that must have been an awful experience for him and an injury you don't expect to see in a race situation necessarily. I don't know. I, I never had a bee in my mouth, so I don't know what it feels like. <laughs> <laughs> Nor have I. Matt, have you? <laughs> uh, I'm, I've had a, uh, no, I haven't. I could, no, Unfortunately. I haven't. <laughs> I was going to, no, no. Um, I, I, I was going to say, and, and to make light of it, but you can't because it's, you know, stage 19 and, and having something as bizarre as that happen to you. Poor old Lucas. He's such a nice, such a nice character, but I don't know. He can talk a lot, that guy. Can't. I'm just wondering if he was talking too much out on the road and one flew into his mouth. I said, Sorry, Lucas. I know, you, we, we got, I, I know Lucas very well, so I'm sure he'll smile about it. But no. Uh, yeah, such bad luck. Because, um, you know, just finishing a, a, a tour, you know, especially off the back of the stage when the way they, that, that they rode as a group, as we've said on many occasions now, a, a big shame for Lucas, but he'll be back. Absolutely. So, Matt, Paul, where do Bora Hansgrohe go from here? What positives are the staff, we've listened to Ralph Denk and what he was saying. What positives can they take from this tour looking ahead? Paul, you first. I think uh, the first is really like the, the strength of the team, you know. And I think that's what every rider said in post-race interviews, that like they just realized how strong they are as a group and then that they got closer together. So, I mean, they have this slogan like Band of Brothers. And I mean, I think they really showed that <laughs> in this tour and... I think they also realized uh, or saw the f not even the full potential, but the potential of Lena Kemner. So I think they have now like a guy in, in that team beside like Emmanuel Buchmann, who is capable of like performing in a Grand Tour. I mean, he still needs time. He's, he's still young and he is, I think, more fragile mentally than like maybe Emmanuel Buchmann. But he, he definitely has the potential to be up there in the GC. And I think that's one of the things they realized. Uh, oh, God, I can't wait for it already. And luckily, it's hopefully only nine months away because we're already in September, which is a good thing. Uh, Matt, what did you what did you what do you think Bora Hansgrohe can take from this? Uh, you know, as as much as the way they raced, yes, they didn't get the results, but actually the nature of the way they raced was brilliant to see, wasn't it? Yeah, Um and I think what it does show is that over the last few years, the team has got tighter and tighter. And obviously, they've brought a few riders in, a few riders out. But a, there's a real strong kind of heart within the team. That doesn't happen overnight. You know, that, that, that takes, that's a culture. that It's like one of the best examples to use is De Kernink over 20, 20, 30 years. They've built this culture of winning. And I think when you look at the mathematics, when you look at the facts, like this year, the team have won 18 races. Peter Sagan hasn't won one of them. And, and that's not a criticism of Peter, 
you know, and he, he is a, one of the greatest champions the sport has ever seen. And he is a talismanic figure within the squad. But it just shows you that when Peter signed for Bora, a lot of people said, oh, it's just about Peter Sagan and the rest of the riders are just going to have to kind of ride for him. And that isn't the case. I mean, that they do ride for him this year. We're still waiting for that win from Peter. But I think the team has got so much strength in depth. That's what their strength is now. They can win across the board. And now they have three, in the form of Shackman, Bookman and Kamna, three riders who can genuinely you know, battle it out, I think, in the next few years at the sharp end of a Grand Tour. And then you've got riders like Ackerman in the future who could contest a green jersey. He's still a relatively young rider coming, youngish rider coming through. So you've got depth and strength and a team that fights and, and that believes in itself and that can overcome adversity. So despite it being a year where Pete Sagan hasn't had a win, I think the team are now at their best. I think they've really matured. They're investing in the future, long-term contracts with riders like Shackman, for example, and that shows real belief in the riders they have on the team, the young riders, and that's, I think, the future's bright. I agree, and I think, uh, well, it's going to be an exciting few months. We've still got Grand Tours and Classics races to come. It's all turned on its head this season, but as cycling fans, as you said, Matt, we absolutely love it, don't we? Uh, that's it then for the Bora Hansgrohe Eat, Race, Shower, Repeat podcast. It's been a thrilling journey with the team during perhaps the most extraordinary Tour de France in recent history. A huge thank you to all who have contributed to the podcast. The riders Peter Sagan, Maximilian Schachmann, Lena Kemner, Lukas Pösteberger, Gregor Mögeberger, Daniel Oss, Emanuel Buchmann and Felix Groß-Schattner. And also to our thank Enrico Poitschke and Dan Lorang. And a big thank you to you as well, Matt, for joining us and reflecting on what's been just the most incredible, bonkers tour. Thanks very much. It's been a, a proper vintage tour and um, it's lovely to have, uh, well, it's lovely to be invited on to have a chat about it because I think, let's agree, we could have probably done a three-hour podcast or even more just talking about the race itself and, and how the team equipped themselves so well. They, they should be proud. But thanks very much. Absolutely. No, thank you. Pleasure to have you on. Do continue to follow the team on social media at Bora Hansgrohe on Twitter and keep up to date on the Hansgrohe channels as well at Hansgrohe. And you can find me online too at PaulFoss86. And I'm on at Laura C. Winter. And I'm at Real Stevens. Who's the fake Stevens? Is there a fake Stevens? <laughs> I don't know. I just, yeah, when I went on a few years ago, the, the, the Matt Stevens was taken, so we just used a Real instead, yeah. And a big thank you to Hans who make this podcast possible. We really hope you've all enjoyed listening and loved following this year's Tour de France with the team as much as we have. It has been one of the most remarkable and memorable races. Although it did not go totally to plan for Bora Hansgrohe, a stage win for Leonard Kemner and indeed the way the team raced was a stunning highlight. The future is very bright indeed. Thank you for listening to the podcast and we will see you soon. 